0: Well, we're going to turn in our Bibles to the passage of Scripture which we're looking at. That is, of course, Romans chapter 1. It's on page 594 in the Bible. I'm going to read verses 5 to 7. Same verses that we read last week. Through him, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. First verse again, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, I might have told you this story before, but many years ago, uh, when I first, me and Pauline first, uh, started in Emmanuel mission was big on the agenda in this church mission, if you always, everybody want, always wanted to be on a mission no, he had already when I came, he had already had links with a group of people in Gilber and um, we spent many years working over there, closing this church on a Sunday night for about three years uh, going over there on a Sunday night and uh, ministering and establishing a work, which in some respects is still ongoing today, although the people who are there now probably wouldn't recognize our input into their origins. But we spent about three years in mission over in Gilver. Not content with that, this fellowship of just about 20 people, not enough really to... uh, look after itself in many respects Uh, we decided that we were going to branch out again not only in Gilbert but we were going to branch out into Blencombe and Blenronde so off we trotted those of us who were actually able to walk at the time uh, because there were quite a number of people who couldn't walk or uh, couldn't see and we went up there and uh, spent night after night after night leaflet in the place We prayer marched its streets and had open airs on its corners and we started to organise a series of meetings which would be the climax of the mission. That is until I had a phone call from a very irate woman saying who are you and what do you think you were doing? This woman was the pastor of the local church in Bramlanda and uh, she was wondering who these whippersnappers were uh, who had invaded her sphere of ministry and she was a a busy woman uh, in ministry without as much as an explanation or an introduction you know, at first I was quite angry with her outburst but on reflection I understood exactly where she was coming from we in Astrid decided that we would go and do the work of those who had been called to blind There, A number of years later, of course, we in Estrad had a visit from people from Armenford who wanted to do a mission in the Ronda. And I thought the same as this lady. If, you know, have you, have you actually reached every person in Ammonford then? And this woman could say to me, have you reached every person in Astrid then that you're going to come up here to where I'm working? So I understood exactly where she was coming from now Paul this man who is a Jew and he's a Jew right down to the tassels on his garment was doing exactly the same as what we did or what we tried to do he was crossing over scaling barriers extending his borders um, into other regions with the gospel, he was—he was, he was um, as I say, he was crossing over. What right did he have to do that? And when you read the story of Saul and Paul, you will know that uh, on his way to Damascus, he, it, we are told that he had letters from the synagogue, authority—you know, statements that said you have the right to go from where you were down to Damascus and. Arrest all these people who were following the Lord Jesus Christ. He had letters from the synagogue so that if he found any of who oh, were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. But the question I want to ask the text uh, tonight and uh, concentrate our thoughts on is what right? He had the right to go to Damascus to arrest people, but what right did he have to interfere? in the concerns of people that he had never met people that he had no influence in their coming to Christ whatsoever and actually lived hundreds of miles away from them. How would Paul have answered if he had received a telephone call from an irate woman from Rome asking who are you and what do you think you would do it? You know, so in our text tonight, we have Paul's letters of authority. Not from the synagogue this time. You know, they perished when he met with the risen Christ. Not from the synagogue, but as we read it, we can see that Paul's letters of authority have actually come from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Listen to it again. Through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name now for those of us who were you last week you will remember that Paul had completely embraced the two gifts that stand at the beginning of this uh, text grace and apostleship and I said then that uh, Paul to sort of simplify it that God Paul had completely embraced, embraced the grace of God, something that we find very difficult to do. We'd rather preach it than embrace it. We'd rather exult in it than live it, because it's a difficult thing for us to do. We saw that last week. And we also with apostleship I narrowed the word down to mission. Grace and mission. And I said that grace has always got to be accompanied by mission. I refer you to the song that we just sang. Freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. We just sang it. And it's exactly what that phrase is saying. Grace and mission are always found together. What Paul received from God... He was willing to encourage others to receive from him as well. But what was the mission that God had given to Paul on this occasion? Now, my Bible says, for obedience to the faith above all nations for his name. Now, I must be honest. I must be honest my wife. But I don't think that's a very enlightening translation of... uh, the text I don't really know what that means for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name that's not a very good translation as far as I'm concerned because it doesn't highlight the most important part of the verse and that is purpose purpose that is this clause is a purpose clause you know, I like you do, you've heard me talking about purpose clauses in the scripture before. In order that, in order that, Paul has been given, has received the grace of God. He's been given the commission. In order that, and that's what I would like to have seen, or something similar to that, in uh, in this in the scripture. Because evident in the Greek is this amazing purpose that Paul has been given by God. Now, the NIV. I must be honest and this is the second week in a row, uh, is, is better, but to my mind, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, gives a much clearer view of things. This is what it says. Through whom, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship in order to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, among all the nations I'll read that again through whom through Christ we have received grace and apostleship in order to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations you you have to uh, admit that there we can see the purpose and how clearly spelled out it really is Paul has been chosen has been gifted has been commissioned to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. You know, and from that we can see what Paul's calling was actually all about. You now, we could simply say that it was about reaching the lost with the gospel. Well, that's old hat. Of course, that's what it's about. We are, be- we are told that we are to reach the lost with the gospel. But that begs the question. What then is the gospel? What is the gospel? You know, and that is the question that is the most debatable point of all. What is the gospel? Now Paul, if he went on a few verses, as you know, to verse 16, we will see that whatever the gospel is, Paul is not ashamed of it. Now, that tells me something. It tells me, That the gospel has to be, in some way, something to be ashamed of. It has to be, in some way, controversial. It has to be, in some way, debatable. It must be something that will conflict with others, in their opinion. Or perhaps even radically cut across the perception of the masses. Otherwise, there will be nothing to be ashamed of. You see, if the gospel was what everybody believed and everybody embraced and everybody followed, then there would be no need to say, "I am ashamed of the." I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But for him to use that word, you want to put it so close to the beginning, he must be saying something that will offend others, that will um, criticize others, that will write roughshod over others. So the gospel, what is the gospel? No, Paul was bold in his approach to the gospel. And of course we saw here on Sunday night that he actually boasted in its content. What What did Matthew tell us? That he had to boast in the cross of Christ. Boast in the blood of Christ. So Paul was a boaster, not in his own ability, not in his own religion, but in the Christ who died for him upon the cross so he wasn't in any way timid in anything he was bold in his approach and using the word ashamed in verse 16 must tell us that it was different from everything else that people were saying it was new it was disturbing it was divisive the gospel is not something that pleases people at all that's what Paul found as he went around the world preaching the gospel. People threw stones at him. People tried to behead him. People whipped him and shooed him out of their, their land. Put him in prison. did all manner of things against him. Why? Well because the gospel isn't what people think it should be. It's very disturbing when you listen to the gospel. It's very divisive. Now we know, we, as I've said uh, in a number of occasions, since we've started the book of Romans, that the whole book, the, the epistle of the Romans, is written to define the gospel. So of course, we are going to uh, sort, of, sort of set it all down in rock tonight. This is going to come over slowly as we go through uh, each uh, paragraph and look at each detail of what the gospel means but during this commission uh, that he has Paul has been given we have set before us the flavor of the gospel the flavor of this transaction and it comes in four words the obedience of faith Now, you know if we were to narrow the gospel down into just four words or we could say a three word Definition of the gospel, we could say obedience of faith. That's what this verse has told us. Listen to it again as I read it from the uh, English Standard Version. Through whom Christ, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. The obedience of the faith. So that's the flavor of the transaction. You know what? The controversial word has to be the word faith. Faith. Faith as opposed, of course, to works. That's the reason why I read from Galatians chapter 2 tonight because that is a classic passage of faith against works. And what works? Does faith work or does works work and we saw it Paul telling the Galatians that works never justified anyone because we are justified by faith but of course that is great when we talk about it in the Emmanuel Christian Fellowship on a Thursday night having received the gift of faith and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ there's nothing that we like to hear more than people saying you are uh, justified by faith but that's us That's us. I knew I'm talking tonight. I got no problem with anybody because I know that no one's going to get up and stone me or whip me or throw me into jail. But Paul couldn't be so sure. In fact, he was quite positive that something would happen every time he preached the gospel. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones reckoned that if you were not criticized and persecuted for preaching grace, you're not preaching grace. And you're not preaching the gospel so up until now as far as uh, the the eastern countries was concerned uh, it was observances sacrifices feast days pilgrimages deprivations and outward morality in other words it was anything and everything that we could do for God we've had them here they've come here and told us we should be doing this we should be doing that we should be doing the other i'm quite convinced that i had two dvds slipped through the back door the other day from such people who want me to be bound again by the works of the law you know i'm so glad that they didn't work on either of my machines and um i they will be jettisoned uh, when i get around to it and uh, but that's what they, they're the type of people who come and stand outside church doors, wanting to snare people and bring them back into the bondage of works. Because that's what, how it was. That's what people, uh, how people lived their lives. That's how people thought that they would impress God, because there was a life right to lead, there was a religion to follow, there was a God to impress. And yes. Most of the time, most of the people are really happy with that, because if we can do something, if we can say something, if we can go somewhere, if we can achieve, then we will solve our consciences. We will keep God's anger at bay. We will. Um, it will see us through the judgment, because we've been as best as we can. We've given as much as we can, and we've said what we needed to say you know and that's how it was in fact that's how it is you know I said earlier in my prayer that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever but he's not the only one is he society is the same yesterday (coughs) today and forever it lies in sin and it pretends to be religious and pretends to be holy and tries to do all these things that would impress God. So things haven't changed one iota from Paul's day to our day. You know, but now, of course, we have included in this society that is working its way uh, into God's um, approval. We also have large swathes of the church that are doing exactly the same thing. You know, and Even the evangelical church, which we belong to, are guilty of working their passage to heaven. Even in Pentecostal circles, which we also belong to, are also guilty of trying to impress God with things other than what God requires, and that is faith. You know, the idea of works very much appeal to the outside world, and unfortunately very much appeal to the follower of Christ that's what's taking place in the world today righteousness is gained by what I do and what I don't do and that's the prevailing thought of the day and Paul comes along with this message this message it says obedience of faith Obedience of faith. He says in chapter 3, But now the righteousness of God, and that's what we want, we want the righteousness of God. You know, here we are this evening clothed in Christ's righteousness. And therefore we can go up to the throne of grace and spend time in the presence of God. When in fact that's what we do it. We are here tonight in the presence of God. He's come among us and we are able to worship Him. We we're able to come round his throne of grace and um, petition him and intercede on behalf of others. Why? Well, because we have this court of righteousness And we know that it's not because of we've merited an audience with Christ. We haven't earned it. We are not any better than the people in the streets who spurned God's grace. We know better than anyone. You know, that's what Paul is, uh, is, is coming to say and see what he says but now the righteousness of God apart from the law without the works of the law without us doing this and saying that and going here and being this the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe so there we have the two words faith and belief which of course are exactly the same in the Greek and there's no works there's no works there's no difference to the Jew or the Gentile because there is no (coughs) works attached to it at all it wasn't about sacrifices it wasn't about being deprived of this or abstaining from that it was about believing it was about faith in Jesus Christ you know and I suppose those verses verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3 could be deemed the theme of the whole epistle but now the righteousness of God without the law apart from the law of works is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith In Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference it's the theme that the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed Paul tells us in Titus of course something very very similar he says not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us it's not about us it's not about our achievements it's about anything that we have done. It's all about what Christ has done. And he has given to us. We saw an awful lot of that last week. You know, and as Paul outlines his mission, it is faith that is put first and foremost as opposed to the works of the law. Now that's controversial in itself. That's something that the world would expect him to be ashamed of how dare you how dare you come and tell us that we are not good enough in and of ourselves how dare you come and tell us that we will fail to reach the standard that God has set for us how dare you put us down when we are trying our best to get there that's why Paul says I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ but having said that there is another word That takes our interest in this little phrase tonight. The obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. That's exactly how Paul has put it, and I would say that the two words must always be taken (coughs) together. You see, there are many people who would willingly give their intellectual assent to the theme of the gospel. Many people would say, if they were pressed, they would acknowledge the existence of Jesus. They would, yes, his birth, yes, I believe in his birth, his death, of course, he died on a cross. And even some of them would believe in the resurrection. People would readily tell you that they are Christians. Christians readily tell you that they believe in the Bible and know that it is the word of God and some would even go further and say that living without Jesus would be unthinkable for them you know i met many of these people you know when you uh, go on missions and of course there was a, a, a very large mission in the bush many many years ago before I left and it continued for a number of years after I left that we would go around to different houses three people, and we would sit down with the people and uh, bring the gospel uh, to bear upon them. And I would listen to people who would believe everything I said. Everything I said. There were people who said that if Jesus wasn't with them, they wouldn't be able to get through the night. And especially, you say, a widow. Uh, Since my husband had gone, I prayed to Jesus every night. And he looks after me through the night and keeps me safe. I'm in the house of my own, but I know that Jesus is with me all the time. So to, they will acknowledge all these wonderful things, but few go this far: the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. Yes, it does include the intellectual assent of the things that are found in the scriptures. You see, for us to have faith in God, we've got to know what we have faith in. We've got to know that He is a God who has created us. We've got to know that He is a God who is holy and righteous in all His ways. We've got to know that He is a God who is offended by sin. And we've got to know that we are sinners. And we've got to know that God is a a God who judges sin and tells us that the wages of sin is death separation from God forever but we've got to know that we have a God who is gracious enough to send his only begotten son into the world to take away that sin upon himself and be punished on our behalf we've got to know that so there is an intellectual assent to the things of God of course there is but for those who are born again it must go further than that there's an element of commitment, of submission, of what Paul says obedience. Listen to his words in, in chapter 6 of Romans God be thanked that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. I talked about a mental ascent. Yes, we've got to know. That's what Bible study is about. You know, the first contact. That you and I have with the spiritual truth of God's word is what we hear or what we read. It it sort of gets in through our intellect. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, you've got to preach the gospel. But then he says, you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And then in chapter 10, he says something similar. He says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So what does this tell me? It tells me that faith, obedience of faith, is more than intellectual assent. It's more than saying, I believe in Jesus. You know what, you can go to many churches... Uh, on a Sunday morning and they will go through the tenets of their faith I believe in one God I believe that he is in three persons the Father, Son and Holy Spirit I believe that Jesus is the Son of God I believe that he died and you can recite all the things that uh, are written down for us and yet they are intellectually uh, brought to bear upon us but you see God wants the whole man to be affected by this and here we can see that the heart is involved we believe not with our minds but with our heart the center of our personality has become involved and therefore the whole person is encompassed in this truth of god's grace for us you know it's not a matter of believeism There's so much there is so much Believism, even in the church, a church like this one. There could be people sitting in this congregation week by week who have a believism about them. That they believe every word that's in the scriptures, but their heart has never been touched with it. Their heart has never been moved with it. Their heart has never been changed with it. You know that's the difference. Between head knowledge and heart knowledge, is that the Word of God has impacted upon us, impacted upon our spirits. Believism. Believe There is so much more than simple believism. No, you know you what? Know, um, a couple of years ago, we did a, a, a course here uh, called one Saved, Always Saved Eternal Security. You know, and um, I know that uh, I've been criticized uh, in there on the Rundle valley for preaching, once saved, always saved. And we looked at it that day because I wanted us as a church to understand where I was coming from and uh, what I believe the word of God to be saying But you see, it's opposed by an awful lot of people, an awful lot of very, very sincere people. Don't get me wrong. And it's opposed and thought of as obnoxious because one reason why that is is because many have claimed to be saved they've got out the front they've put their hand up they've said the sinner's prayer they've gone through the waters of baptism and yet their lives are totally untouched by the spirit of God there is this believism this intellectual assent to everything but not having received God as your own as their own personal saviour not having been born again but live as if they are outside the fold of family and therefore when they sort of go back into the world people say well where's your once saved always saved now and that's the the criticism that comes because people have been offended by this easy believism that is preached in the churches today where people can come and go where they like and have no radical change to their lives denying their allegiance to God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, you know Janice mentioned uh, a phrase on Tuesday from James, faith without works is dead you show me yeah, I'll show you my faith by my works," says James. "I'll show you my faith by my works. You know what? It's important that confession with the mouth doesn't cut at all. Doesn't cut it at all. Confession with the mouth. Yes, I've gone out the front. <coughs> yes, I've said the sinners' prayer. Yes, I've given a testimony and gone through the waters of baptism." you know it all seems so wonderful and so great and everybody's clapping and we're having a a wonderful time but you see, to confess with our mouths is not what it's about it's not what it's about at all because that is only half the story we must first believe in the heart before we confess with our mouth. Jesus said these words a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. Now listen, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whether he has got treasures of good in his heart, his mouth will speak good. If he's got treasures of evil in his heart, his mouth will speak evil. So it's the heart that is moved Mm. before the tongue. The heart before the tongue that's the way that god moves the heart before the tongue therefore with the heart one believes because it goes so much deeper and acknowledges more than ever mental ascent will do you know we talked on tuesday night in bible and biscuits we were talking about the unconditional love of god the unconditional love of god you want to ask the question does such unconditional love offend us does it discourage us or are we thrilled with it you and know um, the answer one of the answers uh, that we received that i received was that if you know who you are if you know that you are a deep dyed sinner that you are lost that you have nothing to offer to God, that there is no good in you at all, then the unconditional love of God makes perfect sense. Because God loves the unlovely, God loves the unlovable, God loves the dirty and the immoral. He loves, you know, and we can say, oh, it's wonderful. Because if it wasn't for the unconditional love of God, I would be lost forever. Because I am the unlovable. I am the dirty, the immoral, the far away from God. You know what, it thrills my soul that God loves me in spite of me. And that's a wonderful thing. But can you imagine if you've got any idea of yourself, any thought of who you are, then the unconditional (coughs) love goes against everything that you you think of yourself. You know, when you've got so much to give, and you are so good in what you do, and then God says, I'm going to love you in spite of you. In spite of me! despite of this, best you, know, you can see the difference that the unconditional love of God can have an effect uh, um, a, a, a wonderful effect on some but not on everyone you know, and, um, it can only be acknowledged by those who understand the sinfulness of the human heart the inherent judgment that is upon man in his sin and the inevitable consequences uh, of such a life Unless, of course, there is a God who sets his love upon you. Someone who see nothing, sees nothing in us un, but unconditionally loves us enough to send his only begotten son to be our substitute and to suffer under the wrath of God. And so Paul doesn't just say believe the gospel. What does the Bible say? Even the demons believe the gospel. And they Tremble, he says, the obedience of faith. The turning away from sin. The turning towards God with grateful thanks because what Christ, what Christ has done for them, although there is no deserving, no merit in them whatsoever. That's his mission. That's his mission. The obedience of faith. You know, we only go halfway sometimes when we preach the gospel but this man has shown us that there is more to it than just getting people to say yes just getting people to put their hand up yes, people put their hand up if they are moved by the spirit of God yes, that's wonderful but putting your hand up doesn't save you praying the sinner's prayer doesn't save you only God can save you as he has an impact on your whole being that's his mission that's what Paul is about that's what he has received God's grace for God's apostleship for in order to call people to this obedience of faith now then going back to my original point but why is he interfering in the affairs of the Roman church has this irate lady any right to ask him who he is and what he thinks he's doing when we go back to our text tonight uh, we'll see another part of these papers or these letters that he has received. Through Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations among all the nations you know and from that we can see that Paul's commission and therefore his authority Commission equals authority. He was commissioned by the highest authority, and therefore he works with the highest authority. And his commission, and therefore his authority, is not restricted in any way at all. No, he he says in this epistle on two occasions, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile or the Greek. Uh, This is what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. You now, when we go forward from this point, uh, and for the next two chapters in this epistle, we will, Paul will be showing us and telling us of the universality of sin. He ends it all by six, chapter three and verse twenty-three, which says, "For all." have sinned But before that he takes us on a trip around the world. And he stops off, you know, it's like the the open air bus on in London. You're going around uh, London and the man at the front will tell you this is what happened here, this is what happened there. And this is what Paul is doing in the first couple of chapters of Romans. He's on this open air bus and he's taking you and I on a little trip. And he takes us to some Jewish people. And then he says, look at these Jews. They've got the oracles of God. They've got all this privilege. They can look back and see all the workings of God's hand. They know the words that he has given to them. They've got this wonderful visual aid of the sacrifices and the tabernacle. There are prophets coming out with their urals. Psalms, they can read this. They've got all this wonderful stuff. And yet, the name of God is blasphemed because of them. And then he says, now look at this group over here. And we look to the other side of the bus. And he says, look at all these people who think that they are better than anyone else. These are what I would call the moralizers. Who look down and they say, you shouldn't be doing that. And you shouldn't be doing that. And he says, look at these people. He said, their mouths are full of wickedness. And then he comes in "Now Let's go over this. Now this is a bigger group. Bigger group than them all. This is the nations. And look at them. And look what they've Look at the Arab too. Look at the atrocities that they. And he says, and listen what he says at the end. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who seek after God. So Paul says, Jew as well as the Gentile, in their sinfulness, concluding with those dumb double words, none, 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 none are righteous. No, not one. And yet Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations that are rounded about. But you know one as well as I do, that the first thing that Paul did when he got up from his seat, having been received is sight back after that three-day uh, pause in the dark, immediately he said, immediately, after Barnabas had told him exactly what he must suffer, and what he would do immediately he got up and preached Christ to who? to the Jews the first persons he went to was the Jews and he told them that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Son of God no wonder he was uh, people threw stones at him they would throw stones at him today if you went into a synagogue and said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God but that's what he did he got up and became an apostle to the Jews. And if you read the scriptures, and especially Romans when we come into verses 9, 10 and 11, his heart is aching for them. He wants them to come back into the fold, and then you want to be regrafted into this, into this wonderful <coughs> tree of life. He loves his people. In fact, he would says, "I would be disqualified instead of them if it were possible for this nation that I love so much." To come to know the Lord as their own personal saviour. But of course we know, don't we, that they turned their back so much upon him. That he had to go to the Gentiles. Because that was his calling. That was his calling. So let me look at the this verse. That he was going to um, take this message of obedience of the faith. To all nations. To the Jews first. And then to everyone Else. You know, Paul's authority extends from show to show, and his desire was to make known the mysteries of God to everyone so that they would all come to the obedience of faith. And then, last of all, the question why? Why was Paul so animated? Why was he so determined, so passionate in his ideals? Well, simply. For the name of Christ, for the sake of His name, His reputation, His desires. Do you know that I never met, uh, you know, when I'm talking figuratively now, as I read the scriptures, I've never met anyone as completely besotted with Jesus as Paul was. If ever I had a, a wish. I wish I was as besotted with Christ as he was. Intoxicated by him. What does he say? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's how he put it. I wonder if we could say that. For me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. Your people come into the obedience of faith. Brings glory to that name that he loved so much. Every person who comes into the faith, who is born again, is a glorious jewel in his crown. And that's what Paul was interested in. He wasn't interested in his own crown, although he did talk about his crowns. He said there will be one waiting for me when I get there. But of course John tells us that he's going to cast that at the feet of Christ anyway. So it's all going to go back to him. But every one of you and every and me in this place, we are his glory. That's why we can say that this place is filled with his glory tonight. Because you are his glory. I am his glory. And his name is exalted because people come to faith. Now, such allegiance born out of a great understanding of what Christ had done for him. What did he call himself? He called himself the chief of sinners. The darkest, the blackest, the most immoral. A murderer, a persecutor, an insolent man. We looked at those words uh, a little last week. But he considered him faithful, putting him into the ministry. What an amazing change took place. And there is, again, never such a change and a transformation that comes uh, upon a person as this man, Saul. You know, and this understanding of that drove him animated him pushed him on stirred him spurred him to go on and on and on I said last week that such devotion such commitment such passion it's so hard to find in the church today so hard to find we're so easily put off we're so easily offended we so easily give up and walk out We complain and mourn our lot because to an awful lot of us it's all about me. And how is this going to affect me? Am I going to be blessed about this? Am I going to receive this? Am I going to receive that? If not, count me out. I don't want to be bothered with all that stuff if it's not going to benefit me. You know, that's what the world has, uh, to me the world has infiltrated into the church, this me culture. You know, I'm amazed uh, at how many um, people are using the phrase, I am, all the time. In popular culture, I am, I am. And it's all about me. You know, and that's sort of filtered into the church. And we all want, we want the, the church to be at the temperature that we want it to be. We want it to open when we want it to open. We want to be this, we want to be that, and we want to be the other. And then we look at Paul. He starts talking about his lot stonings, beatings, imprisonment, banishment, shipwreck, all these things that you know you and I would run a mile from. It's very difficult to find such devotion because it's all about me, but as Paul. Paul, it was always for his namesake, for his Namesake. You know, and at the end of this sermon, I'm going to say, for his namesake. Matthew always says at the end of his sermons, said it twice on Sunday, for his namesake. People who pray will say, for his namesake. You know, and sometimes, and I'm talking personally, that's the way we end things. That's the way we bring things to a close, for his Namesake. But with Paul, it wasn't just a phrase to put on the end of a sermon or a prayer. It was his stance. It was the fuel of his commitment for the sake of his name. You know, what about us tonight? Going back over the old talk tonight, is our business to bring... Uh, is, sorry, is our view of the new birth skewed? Are we just trying to reach people on the intellectual level or are we conversant with the obedience of faith? We want to see people touched, moved by the Spirit of God. Is it our business to bring such a message to those we come into contact with? Now we were here this morning, yesterday morning, Janice and myself and, um, and Phil. We meet the, with a fella once a year. His name, is, his name isn't Pervis, but we call him Pervis. His name is Paul Avis. But we call him Piers. Oh, it's not. It's the time for Pavis to come again. We spent a nice hour with him in there, and um, I'd be honest with you. He made building a church sound so easy to he? You know, if Rachel's outside the schoolyard talking to a woman, in his mind she's in here already. <laughs> I'm going to come and have a bit of that. I'm going to go in there. I'm going. I want a bit more of that. And then so-and-so over here. And they can, and you know, i I got to be honest, if, if he was here, this church would be full within three weeks. Not a hundred, but one at a time, he said. Made it sound so easy. But really speaking, that's what it's about. It's about it. talking to people, reaching people, inviting people, and loving people, praying for people, telling people, it's the only way a church will grow. It's no other way. There is no other way that churches grow unless we speak to them and tell them who they are and what the Lord has done for them. You know, is it our business to bring such a message to those we come into contact with? Or are we more concerned with our own comfort, our own seat, our own blessings, our own circumstances? Or is, is it His name? That matters that Is he being glorified in this? Is he being praised? Is he being worshipped? Are his desires coming to pass? They are the questions that this text has asked, asked me uh, throughout this day. And I pray that as you think about them, and I'll go and perhaps and read that verse again, they are the questions that bear upon us. And I pray that we would be those that would seek to bring glory to his name through the proclamation of the gospel, through whom, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. May I pray the Lord bless us for his name's sake.